I'm Kylie McDaniel of Fangraphs.com. Joining me on the other line is the Vidal Bruhan to my Luis Urias, Eric Longenhagen. <laughs> Hello. Yep. I, we're doing this again now, I, I suppose. Yeah, we're back. There was a bit of a hiatus. Uh, it, it, I'll admit it actually felt good that people were asking us where the podcast go. I guess when we uh, when we got into the prospects list and then got into the holidays and then got into prospects week and got into trying to plan all the uh, amateur games we're going to go to, uh, it made sense to just take a little bit of a hiatus. So we took a little time off. Uh, we'll call it season one ended. We're coming back uh, today in the debut of season two. We got a slightly different uh, theme song and format and probably delivery schedule. So it'll be a little little different of experience, but I think if you like the first part or the first season, you like the second season. Er, er, I'm glad we were renewed. Yeah, we got picked up. Turns out Netflix will renew anything, so not that big of a deal. This is going to be a a one issue podcast. This is the single issue voter of podcasts, and we're just going to go through Prospects Week, which it turns out is a pretty meaty topic. And we also will uh, try to limit ourselves on each topic. I will actually have a uh, stopwatch going in the background to keep us from going over ten minutes on any one thing, but. Uh, yeah, I would, I would bet this goes in the, uh, 30 minute area and we'll just hit on all the stuff we talked about this week. So Eric, why don't you, uh, talk about some of your favorite things from this week? Well, sure. I, we should probably start with, we're talking about the 132. Uh, and like last year we, we did a, we published a textual conversation between the two of us just talking about how we sort of did everything. And in lieu of doing that this year, I suppose this is a good space to do that kind of thing. Um, and so obviously, like we had uh, before the hundred went up, uh, we had half of the team lists totally done and published on the site. We kind of had a you know a clear idea of the orgs uh, who hadn't been done yet, you know, which of them were going to comprise a significant chunk of the hundreds, so like the Padres. We know a ton of those guys are going to be on there, uh, so you know those were the priority as far as like building out the hundred we started with uh, what we already had done uh we already know generally what future value tiers everyone's going to be and we we did the blue jays list we knew what bo Bichette's future value was we knew the general range that was going to stick him on the hundred uh and so just using what we had already started with uh and then prioritizing the teams who we knew were going to make up most of the rest of the list uh we started sourcing on those players and sort of refining where they fit uh, and just sort of started to build out the list from there. Uh, And then once we had an initial rough listing of names, uh, anyone who we thought was going to be a, this was very liberal at this point. Like there were well over 130 uh, guys on the list. You know, we started sending that around to people in baseball for feedback who was too high, who was too low why is there anybody else that we need to uh, source extra like scouting reports from uh, that we need more detail on and then things that's how things started to take shape uh, like you know a while before the list was published Um, and then what what were some of the the changes you thought like you can remember that we made based on the feedback at that point Ooh. Uh, I'm going to pull up the list and just try to find some names that moved around. I feel like there were definitely some guys that we had toward the back that moved up 40 or 50 spots. Uh, yeah, I think we had initially gone into the offseason thinking that Kikuchi would go around 50 or 60. And then I think we got some a couple negative uh, things. And then obviously uh, some of the Peter Alonzo stuff we talked about, that if a guy is going to be going into his peak, um, 
right as he's, you know, year zero of his zero to six starts, that that's a negative, and Kikuchi is, um, what is he, 26? 27? Yeah, he's 27. Yeah, he'll be 28 during the season. Uh, so we had him down toward the bottom, uh, and those people told us to, like, shift him back up a little bit. And he's right, obviously, and like, a very... stuff influenced that, too. What, say that again? The track man stuff influenced that, too. And like, he's also a very unique case. Like, he's a hard guy to, like, put him next to another guy and be like, oh, he's like this guy. No, he's actually like those guys 20 spots ahead, which we did a lot of times. Like, there were, you know, Cole Tucker was pretty high, and then we just kind of slowly moved him down as we realized, like, yeah, there's a chance he hits for power, but he's going to be 23 this year. He hasn't really done it yet. So, like, he's probably not going to do it, even though it's technically possible. So maybe we should put him next to the guys that don't have any power at all, because that's probably going to be the outcome. Nick Madrigal is also the name that based on where we had him at the end of the season, we had a 55 on Madrigal uh, on draft day. And then it was a month of pro ball before he struck out. Uh, and so, you know, it was just sort of confirmed, okay, this is this special thing this guy does. And so at the end of the year, we had moved him up. Um, and then as we passed the list around, just, you know, mostly it was with pro- people on the pro side of scouting. And the information that they had on Madrigal was, you know, there's no power here. can't pull the ball. Uh, like we're very concerned about some of this stuff and it's not as if the pre-draft reports uh, unless you saw him like those first couple weeks of the year were super goofy because he had a broken wrist from the time he returned from it up until draft day and he was hitting with uh, a recently healed broken wrist which you know can sap power for you know god knows how long like 6 12 18 months sometimes some of these guys have issues hitting for power like jesse winker is the first name that comes to mind uh, a guy who like had a long drought where he didn't hit for any power because of you know, like a broken hand or wrist um and so like we did move him down uh, but like we didn't we still like use logic like this to sort of sl- stop the bleeding a little bit and ultimately like settled on putting him where we did which was basically still with all of the players of his type that's another sort of overarching theme uh, that we should probably talk about is like we tend to bucket guys uh, into types of players, uh, and you know, philosophically, like all things being e- all things being equal, if two players are exactly the same guy, and one of them's a double A and the other's in rookie ball, like give us the guy in double A. You know, there's just sort of philosophical principles that we use throughout the list. And so, like Madrigal is in that group of high contact up the middle players who don't have a lot of power, but uh, just based on the defensive value and how much contact they're making, we really like them. So, like, Luis Urias is that guy. Vidal Bruhan is that guy. Uh, and so, like, you'll see clusters of players uh, who are similar grouped together but then striated based on other stuff. Like, Dalton Varsho and Andrew Kisner are very similar. They're not exactly great defensive catchers, but they probably do enough to stay back there and can really hit at a position where people can't. Uh, and so, like, you'll see those types of guys very close to one another on the list, uh, where we prefer the guy who typically is closer or you know, doesn't have injury problems uh, historically or you was know, a better athlete or whatever it may be. Like, there are ways of uh, shifting them around once they're properly bucketed. Yeah, and I would also say there's, um, I, I guess, an, an additional uh, feature that we brought to the list this year was oh, the... Yeah. Um, what are we calling it? Like the percentage odd outcome buckets? I don't, I don't know. If we yeah, have we don't have a name for it yet. I guess we should have thought about that. Yeah, we're not marketing experts, guys. Sorry. Um, we found that for the top about 20 prospects or so, 
that we could we had like sort of strong enough feelings, and those guys are elite enough that either it's Wander Franco and Rookie Ball with insane tools and performance, or it's generally guys in Double A AA and Triple A that also have the potential to be you know these five six win players that we could say, hey, the baseline for a sixty five hitter is this, like the base rate to deal with. Uh, if you've read some Daniel Kahneman, want to make sure we got our base rates right. Um, and then say, okay, so, you know, Nick Senzel maybe has a little less than the average uh, 60 hitter chance of being a 5-1 player, but his bust rate should be way lower. And maybe the 50 to 65, like the 2 to 5-1 range, that should be higher than average. Um, and doing that sort of conversation for each player, uh, it turned out that in the top 20, that when we would line the guys up and then we did like sort of a weighted war based on like what percentage we put in each bucket and then the amount of war that's represented on average by that bucket, we found that for those top 20 players that the weighted war number that came out, uh, kind of helped inform how we ranked the players. A lot of times it'd be like, Hey, this thing says that this guy's like a pretty good amount ahead of that guy are we doing the percentages incorrectly or is the percentages revealing that we had the guy ranked incorrectly? And for those top 20, 25 players, the percentages kind of ruled the day. We did what we thought they would do. We did the percentages the way that we thought that they should be using the benchmarks uh, as sort of a backstop to be, uh, to go against. And then whatever it spit out as far as the weighted war number uh, ended up being basically where we ranked them. There's a couple little exceptions and a couple tenths here and there and then once you get outside the top 25, it's uh, I think it's much more difficult. And one of the principles I think we had trouble with, which I hadn't really thought about, was if you take a guy like Matt Manning, part of the reason he has uh, a lot of value on these lists is there's a chance he could be a number one starter. Um, but then the fact that he's been a pro ball a couple of years and we don't think he's you know he's not a top 20 overall prospect, so he's obviously not the, not there. He hasn't sort of shown that quite yet. Do you then give him high odds to be that kind of guy more than the Nixon Zell type who like basically hasn't failed? and might not have the physical tools to be an 80 like Manning does, but has performed so much that he might be going on that like Jose Ramirez path of he's just really good, but because he has such good feel and pretty good tools, maybe the tools get a little bit better and then he turns into an 80, where maybe you know part of the reason that the Matt Manning type, as I wrote earlier this year, can be overrated is because he has the physical tools, but you're kind of overlooking the guys that have more of the skills than the tools. Right. Uh, yeah, the whole purpose of the... Uh, potential outcome bar graph, I guess is how they'd be described, is to just communicate, hey, you know, they're even within the same future value tier, these players are very different. You know, it could be even, you know, um, Jared Kelnick and Jordan Adams in last year's draft were both high school outfielders, but the, their Potential like outcomes are very different. Kelnick was is almost twenty already. He did nothing but hit as an amateur like for multiple years against the best high school pitching in the country, just constantly hitting. Uh, might not stay in center field. Body's pretty mature, so like his his potential like realistic outcomes are clustered more in the average regular, above average regular. Maybe he ends up with like a seven bat and is really good. Uh, but it's Jordan Adams is this two sport athlete who we don't know a whole lot about as an industry. He's got a lot of room on his frame. He might grow into insane power, might just be scratching the surface of his ability, but also the bust rate on that guy is probably much higher. You know, Monte Harrison has a higher bust rate than, uh, you know, someone who's Isan Diaz. <laughs> yeah, Isan Diaz, someone who has done nothing but hit throughout their minor league career, is like a very sure bet to be something, but doesn't have Monte Harrison's physical skills. And if everything comes together for Monte, he has a chance to be an eight, 
some of these other guys just do not. And so these, you know, these bar chart outcomes, and again, like the baselines that Kylie's talking about, uh, are based on Craig Edwards' research on historical top 100 lists. You know, the guys in this section of a list bust X percent of a time if they're pitchers, Y percent of a time if they're hitters. Like we tried to use uh, those baselines that Craig provided to sort of bounce these guys around based on what we think about, you know, how we think about these guys and busting or succeeding or, you know, exceeding expectations, uh, et cetera. And we, uh, enough of this process is already subjective, uh, that, you know, we worry that maybe it would look more empirical than, uh, it actually is, but I, you know, we, we prefaced everything before you read it. So hopefully you read the intro paragraph and realize that stuff too. Yeah, and also the intent is not to say this is what their future is. Like, if God could hand you a bar chart, it would look like this. It's you want to know more about what we think about this player, and maybe if you're you know very versed in this stuff, you could read the report and kind of tease out what we think. And then in other reports, there's probably not enough detail on, on that sort of topic to tell what we think. But in this case, it's uh, like I, I think I mentioned in the chat. I have a bunch of friends that do like you know these dynasty fantasy leagues, and I'll get random texts like at nine o'clock one night, like, "Hey, what are the odds Hunter Green's an ace?" And I'm like, I'll just like sit there and think for a little bit. And eventually I would go and look at our base rates here and be like, okay, the average 55, uh, 50 to 55 pitcher is about a 10% chance of being a 5-1 player like perennially. So, you know, it's 10, maybe 15%. And the guy would be like, oh, I wasn't expecting, I thought, I thought you'd say pretty good or, you know, reasonably good or something like that. And so having those numbers, and then the other thing, uh, when, when you said, you know, this guy doesn't have a chance to be an 80, the funny part is after we've had, uh, you know, Jose Altuve, Jose Ramirez, Cliff Lee, guys that didn't have the physical tools in the minors to become an 80, become an 80, you could argue that every single player in the minor leagues has a, you know, 0.01% chance of becoming an 80, and every guy on this top 100 I'm looking at, I think every single one of them is 3 or 4% or higher, because the idea would be there's going to be what three or four eighties on this list. And we think we're pretty sure they're going to be toward the top, but it might be the very last guy. Like maybe, you know, Ryan Mountcastle or shed long turns into an 80. Like there is, there is a path for that. And the fact that the, you know, even the 50, the lowest sort of grade of guy is on the top 132. If you go to pitchers, the odds of being, you know, the, the perennial five, one or more player is 5%. That means even like the safest 50 pitcher has like a one or 2% chance uh, in reality. If you had those sort of from God, perfect bar graphs, of turning into an 80. And a lot of times we don't talk about it that way, but it, it seems implicit, but I feel like we should probably make it explicit every now and then. Sure. Yeah. I, I do, I do disagree a little bit about the whole, everyone can be an 80 thing. I think that there, that we have historically misevaluated certain skills. Like if you look at Mookie Betts and Jose Ramirez and these guys who have become it, it is because the contact skills are so exceptional um, and I just think that that's a thing that that uh, you, know, you and I have made a point to sort of be in tune with, which is why you know Brian Rocchio is already on the hundred. I would also say we from, were, the, from the concept of a pitcher, like there could be a guy that's not even a you know a thirty-five worth noting that has you know a sixty curveball but throws eighty-eight. If all of a sudden he starts throwing ninety-five, like that, there's now like a seven percent chance that guy turns into an eighty, and it was probably zero before that. So I feel like at some level that number is never truly zero, but yeah, it's it's effectively zero for vast majorities of the players in the minors, and basically anybody that makes it onto a list is probably more reasonably like the one percent and up types, or maybe even the point five percent and up, or whatever it is. But I feel like that's one of the things that doesn't get said in like the tools based prospect world 
that, oh, this guy, you know, hey, if the Vidal Brujan, if this thing goes perfectly, before you had Jose Altuve, nobody would say that guy could be an 80. And the reality is he could be an 80. Like, there is a chance. And I don't feel like those, the range of odds is completely talked about. It's really the middle of the odds are talked about. And so we'd like to sort of, you know, add some context to that discussion. So that is enough on the top 100. Uh, however, let's spend some time on the picks to click. I feel like that was one of our favorite yeah. articles to write last year, and I think we did pretty well, although we don't really have a benchmark for what would be the, the biggest yeah, rates of how good you're supposed to be with that. Um, talk to people about how we did it this year. Right, so we just sort of had some self-imposed rules this year that basically involved us not using anyone we've used before. Um, because at some point you have to stop. Like There are a lot of players that we like. We've already listed 132 guys so at some point like you just have to stop yourself and so we we uh did not allow ourselves to use anyone who was on last year's picks to click article so like wander javier was not allowed akil badu was not allowed um anyone who was on that list last year yeah uh mj yeah melendez uh they were not allowed to be on this list again this year we can only Use one bullet per guy a year, uh, and that's it. And anyone who had been a 50 in the past for whatever reason was not allowed on the list either. So uh, like Austin Hayes was on the back of our 100 at one point and has moved off because last year he was bad. Mike Rodolfo, Franklin Perez. Right, Mike Rodolfo. Yeah, anyone like that cannot be brought back on to uh, the list. So it's all fresh names. And we just assume that, you know, we link back to the list last year. So you can assume that anybody on there who was hurt or whatever, you know, might also click again. Uh, so, you know, just wanted to try to focus on having the fresh names. And we ended up with about 60 guys again, like we did uh, the year before, which, you know, sounds like a lot because you're like, well, you have 200 players now that you're throwing at us. Like, you should get some of those right. Uh, and that's true. But it is like, you know, two and a half minor league rosters worth of guys. So it's not really that much in the grand scheme of things um and then we bucketed these guys uh, as well you know like here are the teenage pitchers who might grow into huge stuff all of a sudden here are the big bodied athletes who we expect will eventually have big raw power uh and we might start to see growth of that nature next year etc yeah and the other thing is um Knowing now that the rule uh, going forward and with this list is we can't use a guy twice on the picks to click, there were certain guys where we're, you know, we have 100 names almost to start with, I think. We're trying to cut guys. A lot of times we'd get to a guy and be like, oh, this guy's 17. He's going to pitch. You know, OCL Rodriguez at the Yankees was a good example. We really yeah. like him. He's really good. He's already a 40 plus. If he has like a good GCL season, he could be a 50. But he's going to throw like 30 innings. If he, you know, has like a pulled hammy and only has three appearances and is an instructs, it might not be much of an opportunity to move up because we already have the stuff graded pretty highly and the command graded pretty highly. Um, and so he seems like a guy that will probably have a good GCL. I would guess he's probably a 45, maybe 45 plus in that range that like Lorenzi Contreras was in this year. And then he will definitely be like a prime guy for next year. Like next year would be the time to put him on there because that's when he's going to probably make that leap to 50. Um, and there's a number of those guys, even some guys from the draft that were, you know, 18 year olds that we've already ranked, ranked pretty high, but you, you just, you want to have one more year or you think you can see the trajectory of a guy. Hey, when this guy gets to high a, I think it's going to be his year. He's going to be in low a this year. He might have a tough season, you know, his first full long year, um, in pro ball. And so we were trying to like Eric was saying, try to like save the bullets on the guys where it makes sense and maybe try to have a little higher, uh, percentage odds on picking a guy that's going to jump. Because we got 18 guys last year, which you think of all the guys that became 50s, I don't know how many there were, but, I mean, there's probably, what, three, four dozen or so, 
and we got, what, a dozen and a half. Like, we got a pretty good number of them, but we had a lot of guys, and some of them were those, oh, this is probably a two-years-from-now guy. Uh, we're a little too willy-nilly. So I guess we're trying to do it in such a way where we have, like, a high percent chance of pegging the guys, and I think we'll probably do better than 25 or 26 or whatever the percentage was from last year. Yeah, the the one category on here that isn't necessarily related to the 100 at all is our, like, potentially dominant reliever category, which is a a thing that like multiple readers have asked for uh, to return like last year's list had Jose Alvarado and Sir Anthony Dominguez on it and stuff. Um, And it's probably for fantasy purposes is what I assume people are interested in it for. Um, So that's on there as well. These aren't guys who we necessarily think will be on a hundred next year. Although Tony Gonsolin might depending on how much big league time he gets uh, this year. But yeah, like it's, it's just guys who have late, like big time late inning stuff. Um, we're just unlikely to stick uh, most relievers, like relief-only types or players we would consider that anyway, uh, on 100. You know, the best relievers in baseball are typically ex-starters. You know, even if those guys are two, two-and-a-half win annual guys, you know, think Aroldis Chapman in his prime, etc. cetera, um, they were ex-starters. So uh, probably not coming from this list are top 100 guys, but uh, definitely – uh, individuals who might make an impact on a major league roster this year, like a high leverage late inning impact uh, and probably names you should know, even though they're artificially lower on even the team lists just because they're relievers. Winson Hernandez. Yeah. I'm very excited to hear Jerry Remy say his name. So hopefully we get to hear that this year, but I suppose we'll see. Yeah, even uh, Mauricio Rivera, I believe in his report for the Phillies, the, some Phillies people were saying, Oh, we had, what was it, Victor Arano, Sir Anthony Dominguez, I think it was Edward yeah. Ramos. Like, they've had a guy almost every year that just kind of shoots from a ball to the big leagues in the bullpen. And they were like, yeah, that if we decide it's okay to put him in the bullpen, like, just develop him there and not try to start him, like, that'll be the guy this year. And I saw him, uh, I think, once or twice this year, and basically across a couple outings, flash three-plus pitches. But he's, you know, little guy, a little bit of effort, not the greatest command. Like, he definitely fits as a guy that could come up and just blow people away. And everyone's going to be like, this guy was a 40-plus? Like, nobody can touch this guy, which is... Basically what happened with Jonathan Loisiga last year, which we could have told you that would have happened, but he wasn't rated higher because we thought he would get hurt, which he did. He so, did. So this is like a perfect, like Eric was saying, like these future values for these guys are artificially depressed because those sorts of risks. But this is sort of like the, hey, these are some guys that might go from where they are and turn into either like a soft 50 or a 45 or a 45 plus. So it's not really top 100 kind of guys, but these guys will probably impress you in one way or another when they when they get a chance. So another part of prospect list, uh, I did 2019 impact prospects, uh, which is not quite as exciting to talk about, but it's essentially uh, for your fantasy people, the people that we think are both good, good this year, and will get a chance to play. And then if you're just like really into awards and rookie of the year stuff, uh, I projected using a highly scientific number called Kylie War, who I thought <laughs> would have the most war. And it seems like from the comments, everybody seemed to generally agree. And then the Tigers fans got mad that Kristen Stewart wasn't on there, but Sorry mm-hmm. to spoil it for you guys, but DHs that are rookies generally don't put up huge war numbers. But hey, he's definitely some. He was on the list. He he just didn't make the the actual article. Um. So yeah, we'll we'll see how that goes. I'm sure some random dude like David Fletcher is going to put up three war next year and make me look dumb. But that's uh, okay. Uh, yeah, gonna, you have to officially put some guesses out there every now and then. Uh. Yeah. And then I had a similar sort of article that ran at ESPN Plus of just like sleeper guys of this type. Um, and it's almost all guys who are on 40 mans, but are not like sexy prospect names. Um, so like, you know, Josh spores with the Dodgers 
was sort of like a relief starter tweener even in college at Virginia and the Dodgers moved him to the bullpen like finally last year uh, and then he was very good and like Tyrone Taylor with the Brewers I believe made a swing change last year but it's hard to know if he has or not because that offensive environment at Colorado Springs you just look at the numbers and go ah it's Colorado Springs none of it matters you know, but like Tyrone Taylor might actually have made a swing change last year for the Brewers uh, and like might pop so that you know if you have ESPN plus uh, go check out that article as well there's just a bunch of guys who might uh, surprise you next year this episode is brought to you by ESPN Plus. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually I don't have. I actually don't have a subscription anymore, so like I can't go read it. I'll, I'll give uh, you mine. I just don't, don't tell anybody. Okay, fine. Uh, you also wrote about uh, junior colleges becoming what is it? Have become scouting's oh, yeah. most active battleground. Tell us about that, Eric. Yeah. So uh, the junior college season starts before anything else does. Like in late January already, there are junior college tournaments around the country and so while nothing else is going on you know just having done this for a while like i try to take advantage of the fact that nothing else is going on yet to go get ahead on some of the junior college stuff and see uh some of the southwest juco's there's like southern nevada where bryce harper went and phil bickford went they have a huge tournament to start off the year uh and then you know in phoenix then the following weekend a lot of teams come down uh, to play as well um, and in doing so, I discovered that, oh, like the uni- Central Arizona College, uh, which is like one of the better junior colleges this year, they have a lot of Division One transfers, uh, has a track man now. And so I started poking around this and have more or less you know, confirmed that uh, as opposed to in pro ball where the data is shared throughout all the, the pro teams and in Division One college ball where the MLB teams can like pay to have access to all of the, the data like collectively from all the colleges, uh, junior colleges it seems teams can pay to have a unit installed and then they have exclusive access to that data and this is like a pretty significant development because uh, this is the place where eyeball scout uh, like allocation has increased now that Division One baseball has trackman units at like several I think it's like 60 uh, universities now so like teams have actively told area scouts hey prioritize the junior college stuff there's a lot of talent moving in and out of there constantly because of how you know you can be drafted immediately you don't have to wait three years there are these transfers coming from Division one schools who didn't play last year they're transferring because they didn't play and they're pissed you know pissed off kids who didn't have scholarship offers or whatever uh, so like we don't have anything on them last year they're now at a junior college they're a Division one talent so like they should be seen please go focus on those guys uh, and now uh, there are probably very few junior colleges. Uh, across the country uh, where having a trackman unit is actually beneficial like there's enough talent coming through that it merits the cost uh, and also the infrastructure at the junior college is such that it can handle this sort of technology like you could probably count the number of juco's on your hands uh, that uh, that meet this cross-section so there might be a race to install at all of those schools and there's probably not one for every team uh so uh, we might have like an information imbalance here which is going to be very interesting to watch and uh you know the teams that have installed the ones at the schools uh, that we know about uh, are not confirmed like it's not something you know i talked to 
a coach with Central Arizona just would not tell me what team helped them install this thing. Like they don't want anyone to know. Um, but we're, we're it pretty sounds sure like, we know who are behind these. But yeah, no, no one should tell us. We're, we're about ninety five percent sure we know who's behind them. Yeah, three uh, three of them at least, I think. But like we can't confirm it, and also and there's also like what six or seven of them total right now in JCs. So Central Arizona, Chipola, Cypress, Southern um, Nevada, San Jack. Yeah. Um, yeah. Northwest six. Florida, and then I think someone told me that the, the um, Carter Stewart's JUCO has a flight scope. Yeah. Um, just, just for him, I think. Uh, so yeah, so uh, that stuff's going on. It's very interesting. And yeah, one other more stuff in the article. One other element of that is uh, from being on the team side. I've heard a lot of scouts talk about. Uh, junior colleges get blanketed by everybody in that sort of three-week period where the JCs are playing. Mostly high schools are not playing and colleges aren't allowed to play. And so you get like all your cross-checkers, all your high-level guys in there at that point, all the guys you know in the offices that are down for spring training or anything like that. And then often when the college season starts, and it's you know obviously small D1s, D2s, D3s, the high schools, they all get going, a lot of teams just don't go back to the JCs. They go back for the first and second rounders. But, you know, sometimes a guy that was written off as just like a pocket follow turns into a sixth rounder. And some teams like the area guy goes back for one or two games outside of that window at the beginning where everybody goes. And so obviously having that track man both lets you peg who that guy is better. It can also tell you to tell the scout to go back. Um, and it also can sort of almost eliminate that JC for the scout to go back to because the office could tell that that guy's emerging and to then go to the even smaller schools where there's obviously not going to be anything or, um, you know, like in North, the North Carolina, South Carolina area uh, where there's like 60, there's yeah. like tons of colleges and like no one scout can cover them all. You have to have a network and a bunch of bird dogs. And so often that's where we've talked about the um, the Braves Carolina scout tends to get guys all the time around there because he's got a great network and he hears about all of these guys and doesn't really lose track of anybody. Whereas like a first year area scout in the Carolinas, he's going to not turn in like four guys that go in the top 10 rounds every year just because it's impossible to keep up with all these schools. Uh, what other draft, like what other amateur stuff do we want to talk about? Well, we uh, redid the 1920 and 21 draft rankings. We actually have a little uh, bit of work done on the 2022 draft. And I actually talked to an area scout that had some notes on a 2022 prospect. Uh, but because there's no college players in that draft yet, it would be the guys from this upcoming draft who then go to college. We're going to hold off on that. Um, yeah. they're, they're, those rankings are mostly the same as what they were over the offseason. Uh, obviously, there's some guys that moved up and down, and we kind of noted those in the article. Um, the biggest one, going back to the junior college thing, would be San Jacinto in Texas's uh, Jackson Rutledge, who bounced back from oh, yeah. Arkansas. And it isn't completely different than he was there, but basically clean up the delivery, improve the breaking ball and the consistency. Looks like he's in a little better shape. Like everything just got a little bit better. And he went from a guy that couldn't get on the mound very much at Arkansas in the bullpen, but would hit 97 and flash a good breaking ball. And was probably, you know, if he was draft eligible, a middle round, just sort of arm strength guy that's enormous. And then after his first outing uh, at CSN, ironically, CSN is who had the uh, the opening uh, College of Southern Nevada, that's where Bryce Harper went, they had the opening season um, tournament, had a track man there, and then Rutledge plays at Sanjak, who also has a track man there, uh, both owned by teams. Um, but he was getting described to both me and Eric as a Nate Pearson starter kit, which, as you can imagine, is now a first-round prospect. So it's right, amazing that a guy can't even... for seven innings. Yeah, like he can't even get in the game regularly in the SEC, and then eight months later, he looks like he's going to go in the middle of the first round. That tells you how loaded some of these SEC staffs are, that if you're really good, but you're just not good right now, or you're not good in the way they need you to be, they're just kind of useless to you. 
We are also recording this on the eve of the Division One season. Yes. Uh, I suspect that you'll post this bef- uh, like the day of on opening day. So uh, if you have ESPN Plus, <laughs> there are plenty of college baseball games on your you know PlayStation or whatever else you watch stuff on that's not cable anymore. Um, and so you have plans to go see somebody. What are you going to do this weekend? Yep, I'm. Uh, I'm going to try to keep it local the first couple of weeks, just because around Atlanta there's plenty of stuff that I don't need to go. You know, nuts going all over the place, getting early bad cold season looks on guys out of area. Uh, so I'm going to go to Kennesaw State, uh, a little under an hour away from me, and see West Virginia. Uh, Alec Manoa, who I think we have in basically the comp early second round area. Massive dude, mid 90s plus breaking ball. Chance to start, but you know we'll see. There's a handful of guys in that group, and since he's in West Virginia and plays in the Big 12, he'd be you know one of those guys that would be really tough for us to see since he'll be essentially in the middle of the country the whole year. Um, so I lucked out that he comes into my area, and there's also a um, 2020 lefty named Jackson Wolf that's like I think he's six five, throws sidearm and is like 90 92 with pretty good breaking stuff. Um, so I'll go check him out on Saturday, and then next weekend UCLA is my other random lucky traveler that they are loaded this year with uh, multiple possible first day picks. And they're going to play at Georgia Tech, which is like 15 minutes from my house. So those are my first two weekends are just some fortunate finds. Then I'll mix in C.J. Abrams and uh, Nassim Nunez and a couple um, local prep kids around here. Yeah, uh, same here in Arizona. Like it is just completely packed with cold weather teams who are looking for somewhere to play for the first couple weekends. So I've got Vanderbilt, TCU, Cal State Fullerton, and University of Virginia are playing a four-team round-robin uh, at the Diamondbacks and Rockies spring training facility, so I'll be on that. Nick Lodolo, the TCU lefty who is an unsigned first-rounder out of uh, high school by the Pirates, basically hasn't gotten better uh, during any of his underclass years. And then during the fall, it sounded like the velocity started to tick up. Uh, so we'll see where he's at tomorrow. Uh, Ball State's got a righty, apparently up to 97, who's going to be uh, their Friday night guy. So I'll see him face a good lineup in Stanford, probably the best lineup he'll face all year. So that'll be valuable. Uh, some of the high school kids who went unsigned from last year's draft are down here. So Kumar Rocker, I hope to run into this weekend. Mike Vassell at UVA, who, um, you know, for those who don't remember, was like in that mid to late first round high school pitching mix last year. Then he got hurt. Uh, and then he came back healthy. Everyone ran in to see him because there were going to be so few starts before the draft. He looked great and then told everyone, eh, don't draft me. And so he's at University of Virginia. He's going to start for them on Saturday. Uh, and then uh, Eric Miller, a lefty at Stanford, is going to go on Sunday. Like Those are my priorities over the weekend, but I should be at like two or three games every day, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, like it is, it is here. There is baseball right now. It is not just uh, big league dudes throwing bullpens on backfields. Like there is competitive, important baseball happening, uh, and we're gonna go check it out this weekend. And I'm very excited. But oh, it's raining right now, though, so I'm kind of worried about that. Um, Can we start uh, like some sort of foundation that gets all of the um, big league beat writers that are wasting everyone's time by posting photos of people like playing catch <laughs> on the backfield to just go to some amateur games and tell us what's happening there? That would. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think based on the like amount of social media engagement that those, you know, people just have realized that that that, that stuff gets social media engagement. That's why people do it. Like somebody so just I'm, wants to see the outline of CC Sabathia looking like he's throwing but also possibly stretching. I can't really tell it's a little blurry. <laughs> like I've when the White Sox had like their hitting camp last off season and you know, Yoan Moncada was putting the ball on the tee 
and Luis Robert was hitting it off the tee. And I took video of it and tweeted it. It was probably like the most social media engagement I've ever had. So like I understand people's you know, got to have to do their jobs, although it's just not uh, just not adding a whole lot of value. <laughs> yeah, like like guys, guys at Braves camp in Orlando. When you're done at three o'clock, go over to East Florida State, go watch Carter Stewart, and tell us something. Like you know, bring something that, to the table. Yes, that would be great. Please go do that for us. All of will, all of these places are close enough. Bucks. Like for instance, I'm, I mean, I'm going to be in Phoenix uh, with Eric during the uh, the Fangraphs retreat. And that's the weekend that Xavier is going to be at Arizona State, and uh, Xavier has a Friday night guy, Connor Grams, that is a conversion guy that's been up to 99 in relief that I'd really like to see. But if I wasn't there that weekend, maybe let's say Eric was in SoCal, that'd be perfect for some of the uh, spring training uh, crew to get out there and see that guy. Like, they'd want to see a guy throw a 99, right? Facing Spencer Torkelson, that'd be great. But, you know, they're not there. But here I am Maybe when we have college stats on the site and uh, people, you know, gambling, now that it's legal, maybe people will start to bid on college baseball to generate interest. I don't know. God, I hope so. Our niche is very small, Kylie. So the last part of Prospects Week that I want to talk about was the July 2 rankings, which we uh, we typically don't do until about a month or two or three weeks before these guys sign, just because it doesn't seem relevant. And usually around this time each year, you'll see me tweeting from an event in the Dominican, which this year has been, we'll say, neutered a bit. Um, but we decided to do the rankings now as part of Prospects Week. So, Eric, why do we do this? Uh, that's a good question. I guess the, the, maybe a more relevant question is like, how do you do this? And it's because all these guys already have deals. Yeah. Uh, the international scouting directors and anyone else who's involved in this part of talent acquisition have no incentive of hiding anything from us at this point in the game. Everyone's already got a deal. Um, so it's pretty easy to find out who's good, who's signing with who. And how much? Because it's already been done for quite a while. Yeah, the funny thing is it used to be when I first started reporting on this stuff when all the deals were done, I don't know, five or six years ago, guys would try to like openly like hide it from you. Like I know you that th- five scouts told me you have a deal with this guy for this amount of money and then the agent told me. And then you mentioned to a director, like, oh, I'm going to tie you guys to this guy, like, just kind of giving him the courtesy. And it'll be like, oh, we don't have a deal with that guy. And, like, I know he's lying. He just, like, didn't think he was allowed to say it. And now guys will be a little more cagey and be like, I can't con- confirm or deny any signings, but, uh, yeah, we really like that guy. And that number sounds about right. Like, they'll do something like that. <laughs> yeah. And, like, they've had a deal done for some of these guys for over a year. Some of them, you know, well over a year. And the, the reason I'm not at that event now is typically they get the best players. I think last year it was, like, 15 of our top 20 were in this event. So it was very useful. But all the scouts there would joke that it was pro scouting because all these guys have had deals for a long time. It was weird when somebody got invited to the event that didn't have a deal already. And apparently they complained to MLB enough, the scouting directors, that now they just have only unsigned players, which at this juncture of the game means like only guys that will sign for under 500K are at this event, which, you know, frankly, there might be a couple of big leaders on that field, but we're not going to know which one it's going to be. And they're going to change dramatically before they, you know, look like big or become big leaguers. So being there for that event is not as important as it used to be or as useful as it used to be. You know, some of the, the big-time 2019 prospects, like, you know, these kids have Instagrams. It's it's not a secret if you go to them. Like, you can see whose gear they're constantly wearing uh, and have a good idea of what teams are going to sign what players. So it's not like any part of it uh, at this juncture for 2019s uh, is, is being hidden. So, yeah, it's very interesting. Obviously, you know, the best guy is, is Jason Dominguez, who's like this little – uh, super muscular five eleven kid. Who yeah, I was gonna say little, maybe shorter than you would expect, yeah, and super muscular. 
Yeah, so like 5'11", 200, you know, like 2% body fat maybe. Like it's just uh, perfectly sculpted with crazy bat speed and that's kind of it right now. And um, But yeah, I mean I'm into it and uh, you know, I'm just very excited for you know, this fall. You know, like this group – uh, Bayron Laura will might be in Arizona this fall, so it's not it's not long before we get to see these guys do something. It's just a, a while before they have a FanGraphs player ID and a and a player page to go on the board. What what do you think would be the odds if we were to have the FanGraphs sports book and then say what are the odds Bayron Laura signs with the Texas Rangers? <laughs> what would we set those odds at? Oh gosh, I think they just have to be like what like be like one to fifty or something. Yeah, because like the. Sometimes these deals fall apart for like reasons that are usually somewhat easy to tell. Like if somebody tells you, "Hey, this guy's you know gained thirty pounds since they agreed to this deal." Okay, there's now a fifty-fifty shot that the team pulls out of it or changes the number or whatever. But when it's like the tippy top guys and the deals are done, like I don't think any of those have ever fallen apart before. Uh, is there anything else we want to touch on? I think that we kind of covered everything, right? We're gonna have you know stuff from the college games we saw this weekend. Yep, and we have some stuff that'll be. We're doing this Thursday night. We have some stuff going up tomorrow about. Um, driveline uh, pro day and then on monday we'll have some additional stuff uh, reviewing last year's lists and going over the games we saw this weekend you'll have something on prospect limbo um which sounds like a great place to be you know in between um earth and the afterlife um yeah other than that i mean we said we go 30 minutes we're almost to 45 now so that seems like you know it's on brand for us yeah whatever There you go. Ask for something and we'll give you more. Well, that will be all for the first episode of Season 2 of the Untitled McDonough and Hagen Project. Thanks for joining us and Eric, thanks for joining me. It was fine. (laughs) Good job by you. Good job by you.